Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Carrie. In typical faithful Will Hunter faithfulness, Will was our minister of youth and worship, finished with us last week, begins his new opportunity in Charlotte beginning tomorrow. Will has planned the services from now till Christmas. Isn't that wonderful? As only he could. He has planned our services for us from now through the end of the year. You may see Caitlin and the girls around here for a while. Caitlin will continue working there at the dermatologist's office into September. We'll be living with his parents there in the Charlotte area back and forth on the weekend. But Caitlin and the girls will still be here in Greenwood until early or mid-September. We appreciate Will and Caitlin and their precious daughters, and their past ministry, even the ministry in the present that we're continuing to enjoy. And trust Christ's blessings on Will Hunter as he begins preparing to teach Bible at a very fine Christian high school in the Charlotte area. Exceptional teacher, Will Hunter. How can you describe life in following Jesus Christ? What are some words, word pictures that you would use to describe what it's like following Christ? In Scripture, we see following Christ is sometimes like a farmer. A farmer who works hard and must have great patience. A good farmer must work hard in preparing the soil, getting the field ready, plant the seed, right weather conditions, and then patience. A good farmer cannot plant seeds today and expect a crop tomorrow. It takes hard work and great patience. That's a picture in the scriptures. Another picture is that of a soldier in war. Another picture that's in the Bible of what it's like to follow Christ. It's a wartime mentality. At times, things may appear calm and quiet, But a good soldier out in battle, even if it's calm and quiet, is what? On the alert and cautious and careful. A good soldier stays alert, cautious, careful, knowing that behind that building, behind that danger, the potential, Farmer, patience. Soldier, must stay alert, careful, wartime mentality. Or we see the picture in Scripture of an athlete, male, female, who is running. And we're told to run the race that is set before us, keeping our eye on the goal. It's like an athlete. 
I like the way Tim Keller describes life. Excellent, excellent sermon series by Dr. Tim Keller for many years pastor there in Manhattan, New York. His sermons from Jonah. Pastor Keller tells us that every 10 years he would preach through Jonah. His wife told him it was the best series he had. (laughs) Put it into print. And so for 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. And Pastor Keller has a chapter in here regarding storms using series of Jonah. And for several weeks now, when we come together in the GPC family, community, and you, our guests, we're going to learn, we trust, about who God is and who we are to live under his authority through this great, great, true, historical, biblical story of Jonah. And I'm seeing that today we're going to look at Jonah thriving through the storms. Pastor Keller says, following Christ is like going through storms. Sometimes when you're following Christ, it's going to be calm. It's going to be beautiful. It's the sea, the water will appear so clear it's like glass. But at other times, following Christ is going from storm to storm to storm. With the wind beating against you, the torrential rains that flood and cause danger and even death, following Christ is storm after storm. Again, the city. Jonah is a preacher, he's a missionary. He's a prophet. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against that great city who is committed to great evil. Evil people there in Nineveh. Go to them. Tell them of the need to repent of their sin and believe on the one to come. God said, go, Jonah. Jonah said, no, no way will I go to those evil, cruel, treacherous people, the people of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, took great pride in their cruelty against their enemy. Read, learn of the history of the Syrian Empire and Nineveh. They took great pride in the cruelty, in the inhumane treatment against those they defeated, often long, drawn-out, tedious torture until death. They were so proud of their defeat and their cruelty that they would make paintings are carvings on the wall to show their barbaric atrocities. See, Jonah knew God. He knew enough about God. Three things that Jonah knew about God. The first is that our God 
is a God of mercy. That God is willing to not treat people as we deserve. Jonah knew that. That God was a God of mercy who is willing to not treat us as we deserve. Secondly, God is the God who is gracious. Who is willing to not, not only not treat us as we deserve, but is gracious and is willing to treat us as we do not deserve. Not treat us like we deserve and treat us as we do not deserve. And that God is a God of patience. Patience. Jonah knew it. And he did not want the people of Nineveh to experience God's patience. He did not want them to experience God's grace and have his treatment for them that they did not deserve. He wanted them to receive what they deserved. And Jonah said, no way will I go and tell them of the one to come. He runs away from God's assignment. He goes down to the seacoast. He finds a ship. He buys a ticket. And he goes. And now out at sea, there is a storm. A terrible, deadly storm. Certainly those veteran sailors, they had gone through storms, but probably nothing like this one. This one was so dangerous, they instructed the others to begin throwing overboard the cargo. They're going to die. And they start saying to one another, Pray to your God. Who is your God? Who is your God? Who is your God? Cry out to him or we're going to all die. Jonah, during this torrential rain and wind and storm, he's exhausted. He's running from God. He goes down into his apartment and he's asleep. A deep, deep sleep. And the captain finds out where he is. He goes to him and says, in essence, what do you mean sleeping? Get up, cry out to your God that he'll rescue us. They find out that Jonah is the reason and responsible for this storm they all are experiencing. But what are we to learn? What are we to see about life? What are we to learn about God and ourselves through this? I believe there's five truths for us to understand and understand and share. Number one, we naturally become complacent and careless during good times. Family, when things are going well, when there's calm out there in our lives, we can naturally become very complacent and careless of the things of Christ. It is as if we become independent, as if we've got it under control. That it's going well, it's going to always go well. We've got it made. Careless, complacent, 
And God loves us too much to let us stay in that condition of carelessness and complacency where we forget we're at war. I like John Piper's description of life. We have to live with a wartime mentality. There is an evil enemy, Satan, the devil, who is coming to attempt to destroy you, your spiritual well-being, your marriage, your family, all that is most important to destroy, to disturb. It's war. It's ugly. And it can be very deadly. When things are going well, we can become complacent and careless and let down our guard during good times. Remember that. Remember it. Don't become careless or complacent. The second truth we're to see is this. Because God loves his family, he loves his sons and daughters so much, God sends storms. That can be destructive to awaken us of our need of Christ. A greater dependence on Christ of his grace. Okay? We can become complacent. We can become independent as if we've got it together. God says, no, 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 that's not healthy. So he brings storms to break us of our independence so that in a new way, we are more dependent on Christ than ever. So that we live in that position where, Christ, we've never needed you more than we do today. We see this throughout Scripture, but I want us to see it through Paul. I want us to see it and hear it the way Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Seeing this, God loving his family, not wanting us complacent or careless, and he sends a storm. Deadly, destructive, uncomfortable storm. So listen to Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Okay, listen to Paul. Paul was given privileges that no one else had experienced. He had been privileged to go in what he calls the third heaven and have revelation and insight and teaching that others had not experienced. Whoa. Paul, you know all of that. You've had these experiences. Boy, you must be special. God said to keep him from being conceited because of these privileges that was given to him. He calls it the great privileges 
these surpassing greatness of these revelations, this understanding. God said, in essence, and I'm paraphrasing, Paul, you need a storm. He calls it a thorn. I don't like thorns. Thorns hurt. The tiniest thorn can hurt. I grew up on a farm, and we had sand spurs in our yard. You know what a sand spur is? They hurt. Barefooted out, picking sand spurs out of your feet. Paul said, God sent thorns. He sent storms into my life because I could become conceited and arrogant and proud because of these surpassing great revelations I received. God sent storms. Thorns were given him in his body. It was physical. It was medical. But look at how it's described. Did God send it? Yes. But also a messenger of Satan. What Satan sent to torment him, to harass him, to make life miserable from Satan, God used as a storm. A thorn was given me in my flesh, in my body, this messenger from Satan to harass me, to torment me, to make life miserable. But God said, this will keep you from becoming arrogant and proud and conceited. Did Paul like it? No way. No. Look what he says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Three separate occasions. How much time elapsed between each time, we don't know. But it was so severe, he said, God, take it. Take this away. Perhaps an extended time. God, I can't take it. It's too painful. I can't handle this thorn, this storm. Time perhaps elapsed. God, I can't take it. Take it away. Three times, he said, I pleaded with the Lord. Take it away. Verse 9. Paul, I'm paraphrasing. There's something you need more than the absence of a thorn or a storm. There's something you need more. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. No, Paul, I love you too much. You need this storm because it is as you go through this storm or another or another, you're going to learn the sufficiency of God's grace. You're going to learn the sufficiency of God's grace. I take that and try to personally use it in praying for you and praying for others and texts that I write or notes. Lord, 
prove the sufficiency of your grace in this situation. Prove that your grace is sufficient for what they are experiencing. Prove the sufficiency of your grace. That's what Paul said. The Lord says Paul needed. My grace is sufficient for you. May Christ enable us to believe that. That in anything and everything you experience, you can say, Lord, your grace has been sufficient. Therefore, Paul says, this is what I'm learning. He doesn't take it away. Therefore, it's God's power that is made perfect in our weakness. The weaker we become, look what he says, therefore, I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Boasting in the sufficiency of his grace. Boasting when he does not take that storm away but proves his power. That is why, look at verse 10. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You're, you're learning to delight, find joy. When you're insulted, when you're going through these hard times, when you're being persecuted, stoned, left thinking you're dead, left by those who are stoning you? Paul, yeah. I'm learning the sufficiency of Christ's grace. For when I am weak, then we are strong. When you are at your weakest, if you're in Christ, if Christ is in you, that is the time his grace, strength, and power are most evident. What's he saying here? We can naturally become very careless and complacent when all is calm. And well, but our Lord loves us too much. He sins and allows storms, destructive, cancer, strokes, heart attacks. Broken relationships, 
to make us so dependent on him. Look at this truth, the third truth we're to see. We do not like nor appreciate these storms. We don't like it. I certainly don't appreciate it. We resist them. We resent them. Take them away. It is something like the little child. There's two favorite doors in the home. And the little one goes up to that door that leads outside. It's a glass door. Looks outside. There's the sandbox. There's the favorite outside toys. There's the playground. Yes. What joy going through that door, going out to that happy place. And the parents under supervision gladly want him to enjoy his sandbox her toys, the playground. Yes. But there's another door. And the little one thinks there's going to be so much fun down there. That door leads to steps down into the basement where the washer and dryer, the laundry room, And there are chemicals down there. There are detergents. That is no place for a little one. Down those steep stairs, the potential of danger, of illness, perhaps even death. No way are you going down there. But the little ones, I want to go down there. That's where I can have fun. And a frustrated parent has to look and say to the little one, I love you. Trust me. That's not a good place. I love you. Trust me. That's not a good place. That's what the father has to say to us. But I'll have fun. You're trying to keep me from having pleasure. And the heavenly father says, no, 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 no. It's because he loves us. No. You can't go there. It's dangerous. He loves you. Trust he knows best. The fourth truth we're to see is this. We are to learn, experience, and share joy, contentment, and appreciation from the storms. That's what Paul is saying when he says, I've learned to delight. I've learned there's joy. There's a sense of contentment and appreciation even through the storms through Jesus Christ. And lastly, look at this fifth truth. Christ intends to show us that 
His grace is sufficient through the storms. That's what he wants to teach us. His grace is sufficient as you go through storm, calm, storm, calm, storm. He's got a good desire. Folk, it's Christ. It's Jesus Christ who is God-man. Jesus Christ who never, ever sinned. Never said anything wrong, thought wrong, did anything wrong. Who became sin. Christ himself who took the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the punishment of God that he did not deserve. That by his life and by his resurrection to give his very perfection to all of those the Father gives to him. And he says, trust him. He loves you. And he's proving that his grace is sufficient when you're broken and you're devastated and you're wondering, can you go on? Why has this happened? Where is he? He's proving his grace is sufficient to teach a joy a gladness, a pleasure that we'll never learn apart from Christ and these storms. There are men here who will talk with you, men and guys. There are ladies who will talk with you, ladies, as you go through the storm. Father, thank you that Christ went through the ultimate storm of your judgment, of your wrath, of your punishment against sin that he did not deserve to give his very holiness to all of those you've given to him. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Will you give us this kind of confidence in Christ? Trusting you, the sufficiency of your grace in and through the storms. Thank you for loving us so much that you use these for our good to teach us a joy that the world does not understand and use us to help teach others of the sufficiency of your grace. Amen.